So in the UK, there is some new magic. If you throw soup on beautiful, beautiful paintings, if you simultaneously stand in front of ambulances while innocent people die inside, then you solve the climate. This is the new trend in which has come. It's new magic, I know. It's totally revolutionary. It blows me away daily. In all seriousness, this climate alarmism is utter garbage, and it's hilarious. Jordan Peterson, a man who divides many like Marmite, is now one who is speaking up against Greta Blunderberg, as I call her. Not Greta Thunberg, Greta Blunderberg. Yes, she's the girl that cries and screams, and that's about all, cries and screams. So before I rant on for numerous hours, let's listen to Jordan Peterson and what he said very recently in an interview before we get to his commentary on Greta Blunderberg. But there's something that's even um, deeper lying underneath the surface. Um, Alex Epstein has made a fair bit of this in his new book, Fossil Future, but I started delving into this, I guess, 30 years ago when I wrote my first book, Maps of Meaning. So, Tucker, it's become pretty clear recently as a consequence of converging evidence from a lot of different disciplines, neuroscience, artificial intelligence, and literary criticism, uh, odd bedfellows, by the way, and there's more uh, scientific and humanities endeavors involved in this convergence than those, that the structure through which we see the world is essentially a narrative, is a story. Yes. And so, um, and in fact, I asked the world's greatest neuroscientist about a month ago on my podcast, Carl Friston, if even our object perceptions were micro stories. And he said that that was clearly the case. And he's speaking as a scientist, by the way. And so that begs a question. If we see the world through a story, what should that, what is that story and what should it be? And what are the fundamental elements that the story has to contain? And so the environmentalists offer us a story to live by, and it's a, a, a pseudo-religious story, and it essentially elevates the biosphere, the earth, Gaia, um, the earth goddess, let's say, to the status of primary deity and characterizes her as sort of a waif-like, innocent victim, easily taken advantage of and fragile. Fundamental point of the matter is this. The replacement within the industrialized period of religion, of Christianity with ideology, is the culminating and most dangerous point, I believe, of the industrialized era. And this is what Nietzsche predicted many, many years ago within his writings, in which he noted the fact that the death of God was a huge issue and travesty for humanity. And instead, organizations, humans, are going to replace this idea of a central deity with that of ideologies, of cult-like, tribe-like thinking. And the thing is, the truth of the matter is, if you study history in the agricultural revolution, you can see that across history, throughout history, Religion has always been a predominant factor upon society. Now, it's changed in forms and sizes, it has changed within names and ideas. But fundamentally, this idea of collective fictions and myths and beliefs, a deity in many cases, has been a fundamental tenant for flourishing within society because it allows for orderliness, it allows for orientation. For example, during the Cognitive Revolution, the first religion in which we know to date is called animism. And animism basically states and refers to this idea that rocks, that objects within the world, that animals are alive and have spirits, and therefore you should worship them, you should pray for them. And this was the first religion ever known. Fundamentally, the point that I'm making is that religious beliefs and ideologies of a god have been fundamental for societal flourishing. The reason as to why is because it enables orientation within the moral sense. But during this period of industrialization, with the democratization of scientific knowledge and education, people have debunked these myths of God. Evidently, over the past few years, you've seen a decline within religious observance. 
And as I stated, and as Jordan mentioned, in replacement for these ideologies of a deity such as Jesus Christ, in comparison, you now have these religious observant events in regards to specific ideologies like the climate. And within the case of the climate, you can see this very clearly. You can see the fact that the Virgin Mary has been replaced by this virgin earth in which must be protected at all costs. You can see the fact that this beautiful Jesus Christ has been replaced by Greta Blunderberg. Um, but you can see the rise throughout society, aside from just climate, these pseudo-scientific ideologies in which replaced religion throughout society. What is also very interesting about studying early religions is the fact that these early religions, I believe, stemmed from fear. For example, during the cognitive and agricultural revolution, religions were rife. The reason as to why is because out of fear, people wanted to use mysticism or an idea of a deity and all-being power in order to reduce entropy or to reduce confusion, in order to make some order within the bloody world. In other words, out of fear, a religion stemmed in order to ensure that basically people could have some sort of control over whether crops would grow, whether food would come at a certain time, whether weather would be ideal for farming or for working within your small tribes. A drought within those periods would have been disastrous to reason as to why, because obviously if no food grew, if you couldn't find food at that specific time, then you would die. Therefore, religion stemmed out of fear in order to basically reduce entropy. It seems like from a very biological perspective, mysticism is fundamental for sapiens in order to reduce entropy and therefore gain some order within the world. Therefore, people basically used mysticism as a matter of reducing entropy, basically to give them hope in regards to crops growing and fundamentally surviving. And as I alluded to earlier, you can see this kind of religious observance analogous to what we see within the climate debate. As I mentioned, the Earth is viewed as the Virgin Mary, Greta Blunderberg is for some reason viewed as a lovely Jesus Christ and simultaneously you also have the enemy, which is the patriarchal capitalistic system in which pollute the earth and kill the earth. But this ideological religious kind of observance has totally screwed this whole notion of, of environmentalism in which you basically have these idiotic policies in which are put in place, in which don't only not save the climate, but they simultaneously make society poor. And this is what environmentalism gets wrong. So more of this later. Let's firstly listen to this next clip of Mr. Peterson. The environmentalists tend to radically oppose nuclear power and also natural gas. And it's clearly the case that there's nothing that reduces carbon production more effectively than nuclear power. That's, yeah. I don't think anybody with any yeah. sense ever debates that. And it's also clearly the case that if we were careful with nuclear power, and we could be because we've been building nuclear plants for a long time that we could be providing extremely low cost energy to people, especially poor people throughout the world. But we we are not going to do that. In fact, we have an anti energy policy in place, especially in any places that are ruled essentially by the left. And the consequence of that is, uh, well, I just saw today UNICEF just released a report showing that there's been a 25 percent increase in the last year and a half in the number of women and children that are starving around the world. It's a direct consequence of the increase in energy prices, which are in themselves a direct consequence of anti-industrial policies put in place by hypothetically well-meaning, deluded, pseudo-religious environmental worshippers of the apocalypse. It's, it's an appalling situation and it's, <laughs> it's likely to get worse, I would say, before it gets better. And there you have it, and that is the thing that us prestigious Westerners never think about. We don't think about the fact you can't bloody put a solar panel on a fucking shack. We don't think about the fact that if you increase energy prices drastically, and if you remove the fossil fuels, then guess what happens? People fall over the bloody edge into poverty. 
And this is what people on the environmental side don't understand, and we'll get to that momentarily. But importantly, just to give a brief overview before we get to Jordan's words on Greta Blunderberg, climate change is more comparable or comparable or analogous to a fat, diabetic old man who is slowly dying in comparison to an asteroid hurtling towards the Earth. And this is the big issue with Greta Blunderberg. She is the main individual, I believe, who was responsible for fear, for anxiety, for eliciting this alarmism. And alarmism fundamentally is very dangerous for society, specifically when it comes to solving big issues such as climate change. The reason is twice because it reduces the focus upon the real issue, but instead causes these cultural debates in the now. It reduces the focus upon building a meaningful product or service within the form of a business thanks to capitalism in regards to solving a potential issue within society, perhaps geoengineering is an example. However, instead those that buy into this alarmist ideological thought, instead they focus on the now, on the near term, what can we do to make as much noise as possible? What can we do to stand in front of an ambulance whilst the lovely old lady dies inside? What can we do instead to throw paint on a bloody wall in comparison to solving a real issue? The point being, Islamism, thanks to Greta Blunderberg, I believe, despite the fact I do sympathise with her in some regards, we'll get to within one moment, I believe that Islamism basically focuses you upon doing something meaningless now in comparison to doing something meaningful in regards to the climate in the future. That is the fundamental premise. And to be honest, the real irony of Greta Blunderberg is the fact that if you distill her arguments down in a few main principles, she's basically advocating for, firstly, the shutting down of all cars in order for no one to drive, the halting of all aircrafts in the entire globe to ensure that no one can fly and pollute the lovely virgin planet. Simultaneously, she's calling for a ban for all business, in other words, a ban for capitalism, because she believes the businesses at the end of the world, they're the ones that are polluting. And basically, long story short, she's calling for an end of society as we know it today. She's calling a total halting of society, but instead, I forgot this one, instead, she's asking us to go around on the world with bloody boats like a bloody moron from the 15th bloody century. Greta Blunderberg is basically advocating for a complete halting upon the society in which we know today. In other words, Greta Blunderberg is literally just insane in terms of her ideological thought. And so many people, for some reason, are brought into this 12-year-old in terms of her ideology. It's just really stupid. Now, let's see what Peterson has to say about this lovely girl, Greta Blunderberg. Cycle her, and I do acknowledge his argument too. I do have some sort of sympathy for her, but not really. <laughs> I feel sorry for her, you know, because she was chased into this apocalyptic terror that we're trying to enforce on all our kids. And then you think about her position, you know, so now she's all afraid, and her mother's facilitating that like mad. And then, you know, she announces her fear, her neurotic fear, essentially, it's driven by negative emotion. And, you know, Macron says to her, oh my God, Greta, you're absolutely right, and bows. It's like, what the hell is a girl to think? You know, because what right. she really wants is to freak out a bit and for someone calm and reasonable to say, hey, look, kid, you know, the apocalypse has always been on us. It's always the case that the future has the possibility of being dreadful. But, you know, we've conquered terrible things in the past and overcome massive obstacles and there's no reason at all not to assume that we can do the same thing yeah so perhaps peterson is slightly more you know kind-hearted than i am um, i think she's a blithering fool to put it bluntly and the truth of the matter is it's just a chess piece it's a beautiful move by these politicians who want to push their agenda upon you in other words what they're doing is they're using this lovely image of this lovely girl she's a young girl she's slightly autistic she dropped out of school, she was sitting on the streets, and she goes around the world in a bloody boat. And they're using this image as kind of the forefront, the, 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 the painting imagery we must abide by. It's a great political chess move, but fundamentally, when it comes to a proper dialogue, when it comes to proper innovation, when it comes to changing and actually solving the issue, this is just utterly idiotic. They're basically advocating for 
putting a solar panel on a shack within Africa. And, well, you thought this was a joke. Well, they actually tried this, and we're going to go over the results now. Greenpeace in 2014 used a slogan and a project in which they labelled as Access Easily Simplified or something stupid along that line. And basically the project was to go to India and make this new lovely village by innocent people. And the project basically was in 2014 to go to India and to make the world's first fully solar village. It was a small village within India. And they used what they call a solar panel microgrid. It's fully solar and not connected to the main grid. And the media proclaimed the absolute awe and their absolute amazement in regards to this achievement. They were proclaiming the innocence of these lovely people. They were stating, this is the future. This is what everyone is going to do. Now, whilst it sounded good from the outside, upon further inspection, it just didn't work. The day the electricity was turned on, within about two hours, the batteries were drained dry. A boy from the village, a lovely innocent boy, tried to do his homework and he remembers the lights turning off and halting completely because there was no energy in regards to fueling these lamps. The citizens now, in consideration of the fact that the batteries ran out within two hours, had a lamp illuminating the kitchen, but they still had to use the old cook stove, burning wood or dung, polluting the home and putting the whole family at risk. And Greenpeace invited the minister, the leader of this project, to the lovely village in which he was anticipating a lovely greeting with, you know, people applauding him, people in this lovely euphoric type of mode. In comparison, what he was greeted with was a bunch of angry people pissed off at him with flags and banners stating that they wanted real electricity. The minister was greeted with ungrateful inhabitants and he showed up and was met by a large crowd of people waving signs demanding real electricity, the kind you can use to run a refrigerator stove that your children perhaps can use their homework for in the morning in regards to a lamp, not fake electricity. Well, and after a week of the protests, the Greenpeace organization reverted the plans and implemented real power sources. And well, this situation basically repeated itself around the world. It's just uh, beyond comical, to be honest. <sighs> Indoor pollution is overwhelmingly caused by the poorest people within society, and this contributes massively towards global warming. But indoor pollution is fundamentally caused by the poor. The reason as to why is because they don't have access. They're not rich enough to gain access to alternative sources of energy. In comparison, they use cheap forms of energy such as shit, dung, and wood. And obviously, this is terrible. It's very unclean for the planet. So not solely when we make individuals and nations wealthier, there is a total, total evaporization in regards to indoor pollution, which, as I stated, is caused by the lowest, the poorest people within society. But outdoor pollution is also solved too. And this is the very strange dynamic in which we can see in regards to industrialization. Capitalism, innovation, is fundamental. It's the sole way in which we're going to solve this issue of climate change. And this happens within two manners. Firstly, via innovation, via the innovation, the creation, the research and development of new technologies, such as geoengineering. And secondly, capitalism is also valuable because it increases the GDP of nations, therefore increasing resiliency and defense mechanisms against storms. As GDP increases, nations emit more carbon dioxide. As people get richer, they heat their homes, build bigger houses and use more energy. But in other ways, via increased GDP growth, this actually alleviates environmental concerns. Poverty too is actually a big cause of pollution. One of the biggest problems today is indoor pollution. And this is produced by the world's poorest 2.8 billion who are forced to cook and heat their homes via dirty fuels. When people emerge from poverty, guess what? They turn to cleaner gas or electricity as fuel sources. Now this is the interesting thing that I was speaking about earlier in regards to the paradox of increased GDP. 
outdoor pollution originally initially increases as GDP increases too. However, once you pass this mystical point of GDP growth, of wealth, of riches as a nation, as an individual, as a society, suddenly outdoor pollution dramatically falls. And as I stated from the front of innovation, as GDP increases, as we get richer as a nation and society, innovation flourishes and thrives. One technology which has been worked upon thanks to capitalism and thanks to innovation is geoengineering, and which basically argues that one can mimic the clouds within the earth, in which therefore can dramatically reduce the level of sunlight in which gets in and dramatically lowers the heating of the globe. For example, when Mount Pinatubo volcano erupted in 1991, 50 million tons of sulfur dioxide were pumped into the stratosphere, forming a haze that spread around the globe. And this haze reflected incoming sunlight, thus cooling the earth by an average of one degree Fahrenheit for 18 months. And scientists have suggested that we could replicate this and cool the earth for a much lower cost. And in another sense, thanks to capitalism, cost declines are now possible. In other words, as you innovate, as you spend more on research and development, as you have new breakthroughs, the costs associated with solars, with renewable sources of energy, rapidly decreases. And the point being is that if we reduce the associated cost with renewables far lower than that of fossil fuels, plus increase their utility thanks to innovation, then this reveals a very attractive picture. If we can innovate the price of green energy down below fossil fuels whilst increasing the utility of the green energy, and which shall occur likely over time thanks to capitalism and innovation, then everyone is going to switch and this will be great. The point being is when you get rich, individuals and nations get wealthier, not solely do you tackle and completely solve indoor pollution, simultaneously outdoor pollution is solved. For example, society starts reforesting more, society starts building businesses that solve issues, Fundamentally, when you start making individuals and nations wealthier, citizens start complaining about air quality. Citizens have a better awareness in regards to climate change and the environmental quality that they demand. Therefore, they have the luxury to clean this up. When you are poor, you solely care about the food now. You solely care about living now. You solely care about making ends meet and trying to survive in comparison to any environmental issues. You just want to survive. So what I'm saying is that environmentalists have got this completely wrong. Capitalism is the way making individuals and nations wealthier is fundamental to ensure that we solve the issues associated with the climate change. This is not solely from an agility forefront. This is not solely from an innovation forefront in which businesses can solve major issues within our society. This is not solely from an air pollution front, which indoor pollution is totally evaporated. Simultaneously, outdoor pollution is solved because as you get wealthier, as you get richer as an individual as a nation, you start reforesting more. You start taking more care for the environment and you start having the accessibility to use alternative forms of energy in comparison to dung and wood. Look, when it comes to innovation and agility in regards to climate change, this is what all the models get wrong. Agility is man's best friend. Agility is the, the reason as to why we have got this far, and agility is the fundamental premise of what it means to be homo sapien. We have solved major issues within the past. For example, back in the early 90s, oil was used from whales in order to power lamps and lights. And there was a massive crisis at the time in regards to all the whales basically being killed. And it was a big problem, for sure. But we discovered other forms of energy in which therefore allowed us to access and utilize these lights within another manner. And this all stemmed from innovation. This all stemmed from human agility. This all stemmed from capitalism. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't be worried. We shouldn't be concerned about climate change. That's not what I'm saying. This alarmism is so dangerous. And these figureheads such as Greta Blunderberg, in which literally she screams and cries and does all screaming and crying in the whole entire universe, this does not help a thing. So you basically have a choice. You can either choose the radical environmentalists, whom are basically 
positing the idea that we should tip the people over into poverty by increasing rapidly the energy prices, as we saw evidently within Germany over the past few years. Simultaneously, they're also stating that we should, as an environmentalist, we should throw soup upon lovely paintings. We should stand in front of ambulances whilst innocent ladies die inside. They're also stating that we should ban all businesses, capitalism, we should halt all planes upon society because they're bad for the environment. We should basically halt society as we know it today. Or you can follow the more logical and, in my opinion, much more reasonable argument in regards to solving climate change in comparison to basically screaming and crying. Alternatively, you can advocate for innovation, the creation of business to solve issues within society, for example, geoengineering. And two, you can liberate people out of poverty towards liberation, in which at a certain point of liberation, society starts cleaning up using cleaner sources of energy. And richer societies are more resilient and reduce disaster deaths. I believe you have a choice. And for me, it's very simple.